two wizards. Two wizards? Two wizards. Two wizards. I think less with me as a wizard. Through all my life, yeah, like, through all the research I've done, through all the abysses I've gazed into. But this happened recently, and it was it was actually just kind of, it was just neat. It was just really cool. Uh, the Mrs. Wizard and I went to the Columbus Zoo. Oh, cool. And it was amazing. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and... Because, right, like, that's kind of the stereotype, like, oh, you go to the zoo and it's sweltering hot and then the animals are too lethargic because it's too hot outside. So they're just, like, hiding under their shade or, like, oh, no, actually, we're... But let me tell you, man, like, we had the greatest luck seeing all these animals at the Columbus Zoo. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Mrs. Wizard got an incredible uh, uh, a picture, photograph in their polar bear exhibit so there's there's you know some kind of grass and rocks and stuff for them to climb on and there's a nice big pool for them to jump in and splash off and you walk underground and there's a five inch thick plexiglass wall underground so so that you can see see the polar bears swimming and diving around like that and there's a ton of like fish in there too i don't know if it's salmon or what and uh it just so happened while we were down there in the in the underground place, like there was, and of course, like there's, I I mean it's true, but I also can't tell you how many times I heard other people make this joke, like, boy, uh, people watching at the zoo is almost as enjoyable as animal watching, because like all the weird families and loud kids and all like all of that mayhem. So we're down in the underground place, and there's crazy families going through and kids being weird and wiping their noses on everything. And so we're like, okay, look, you know, should we just, should we just get out of here? I guess. But not, but, but something, something told me like, no man, just like, just give it like two more minutes. Let's give it two more minutes. And in that two minutes, one of the wild families cleared out. Uh, and the polar bear like jumped straight in and swam straight toward the Mrs. Wizard, and she got some really good photos, and it was it was cool. It was super freaking. Cool. Oh hell yeah, that's uh, awesome. So yes, that was that was really neat. Uh, there was a koala, and uh, there was a mama koala and her baby, and they sleep. the 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 zookeeper was telling us they had a little lecture, like like they sleep twenty hours a day, and but it just so again like we just had the best luck. Right when we showed up, they actually kind of poked their head out of the eucalyptus tree. And we're just kind of like chill. Like they, they weren't doing backflips because they're still koalas, but still we got we got to yeah, see right. we got to see it. But but yeah, it was great. And then we ended it off that we um there there's a, there was a newish addition that they just finished in like 2020. I think I think like right before or right after uh, COVID world started, and it's like sea lions and uh, uh, seals and stuff like that. So that was it was it was just a great overall trip. And also reminded me, like, yeah, for all of my wizardy uh, uh, knowledge and, and, and prowess to, like, go out and, like, walk among my fellow dwellers of this pale blue dot. It was, it, it, it was pretty sweet. Pretty cool. Right on, man. But, yeah. it's awesome. The, the zoo. <laughs> the zoo. Which, I, I, and I guess th- this is the other thing, as I've mentioned time and again, uh, the, like, paradigm shift that's living in like a major place and like a major city uh apparently like jack Hanna 
like the Jack Hanna had a big like that's that's like not not his oh zoo. yeah he had but a like, big yeah he, you're right yeah but yeah like he's done a lot of like conservation work and like work with that and so I was a kid watching Jack Hanna's Wild Kingdom and that's that's it that's the place it's yeah weird, man fucking hey <laughs> that's awesome but um well yeah because and then I was trying to think too so so that was our second time there. Uh, and I think like maybe the last time I went to a zoo was the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo there in Colorado Springs. And oh wow! I, and I remember liking that one. I thought that one was, was all right. Anyway, that was that was my week. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Johnny. We guested on the podcast, and my audio sounded so bad, and I feel like such a horse's ass because of it. Uh, that was my oh. week. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Listeners, go check us out on Reboot Deboot. They had Dangle Podcast on. And Johnny and the other two regular hosts sound fine, and I sound like I'm screaming through a cardboard paper Christmas paper wrapping tube. And mm, just <laughs> King of the Hill. <laughs> Lou Ann Platter. Like, bad. I I felt so, so bad. I, like, listened to it. I hit the guy up. I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, you only blew your mic a couple times. I'm like, but how did Johnny not blow his? And then I get to thinking, like, is my voice too deep in pitch to be picked up by Raycon? Do I need like, Ooh. you know what I mean? Because yeah. Johnny sound because we just took both my headphones and he took left, I took right, and we just you know talked into him, and mm. his sounded great and my sounded terrible. So I don't know, and all that is to say, I guess I'm still learning. But that's yeah. what being a wizard is all about. That that is true. That is true. And well, right. And now you know for the, for for next time, whenever we get, because who knows? Maybe oh man, okay, what would be. Uh, are there any sort of like wizardy reboot deboot things going on? Let me let me think here. I mean, there was there there was the they're like, doing Lord of the Rings. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're doing well, right because there's that one coming out. There was the uh, what was that like 2012 Sorcerer's Apprentice with Nick Cage? I mean, we could we could get on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're making me watch a second Nicolas Cage movie for this show in three years. That's too yeah, much. True. I'm sorry. That, that's true. It is a bit. It is a bit much. Fair, fair point. Um, <laughs> well, but yes, but you're right. But we are, we were here. We're gathering experience. We're, we're learning what it is to be a wizard, so that you listeners don't have to go through all that trial and error. Uh, but which is why we are here. We're gathered once more on this, the Two Wizards podcast. And hello, welcome. My name is Josh, and I am a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I'm a wizard. Yes. Hello, welcome. We're back again you thought the summer heat could stop us well we're no polar bears just you know <laughs> languishing in the <laughs> columbus swelter yeah, no damn yeah, it we're the... two wizards we're we're here back with a fresh new episode and what are we doing checks his notes oh that's what we're doing because mark had a mental breakdown and couldn't prepare this week <laughs> <laughs> well that... i'll be back next week guys don't worry but also as we were talking about it it, it has been a minute it has been a minute since we have been in the wizard's literary circle corner um pentagram whatever geometric shape where we do our reading uh <laughs> so yeah so i'm i'm looking forward to this um the last time that we read conan i got super horned up i went and i bought like the authoritative conan anthology um i i've been listening to a bunch of the stories on uh audiobook uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to be back here. And I'm also excited for what's in our Wizards Cups. 
because it's because we we tried we tried to theme it. We tried to find something that could kind of sort of maybe work if you squint at it. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> so what are we drinking? Um, well, so in keeping with our theme tonight, we're doing Queen of the Black Coast, which is a story mm. all about Conan getting to be a pirate. Mm. And what's piratey? Well, rum is piratey. And you said, well, just, you know, go west, young man. And so I went west and to, you know, beer keg liquor and picked up a bottle of Kraken to make some dark and stormies. Oh, it's been dude. a damn minute. Listeners, yeah. I can already hear you going, oh, great. Mark's drinking dark and stormies. He's going to be drunk by the end of Act 1. Yeah, I probably will. But tonight, right. maybe I won't. I'll try a little harder to like make it to the middle of Act 2. How about that? <laughs> I'm not going to promise you that I'm going to try, but I'm going to try to try. Yeah, right. Right, right, right. Exactly. It was also brought to my attention that it's been a minute since I've had a Mai Tai. Because... Oh, uh, yes. So, got a little Captain Morgan. Got some... Uh, Oh, some mix. I, I don't even remember what it was. I poured it. Although th- this was hilarious. Uh, on the on the Mai Tai mix, it said, yeah, mix uh, 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 two parts rum with four parts so-and-so's Mai Tai mix. And I was like, well, you could simplify that that fraction. You know, instead of two and four, you could just say one, one and two. I don't, so I don't know why they did that. I don't know if they thought like two ounces and four ounces would be six, which is like a reasonable size but no you better believe i got out like a dead ass measuring cup and filled that to the brim and poured it in a mason jar so that's what i'm drinking i'm drinking my ties <laughs> hell yeah so, i blame the goddamn common core that's the problem that's why we don't know how see, fractions right work. that's it that's it. it was like well you start with a 10 and then you add the 10s together and then you subtract four it's like no that doesn't make any sense but enough math let's get to drinking uh liquor and reading robert e howard here's on you buddy here here you go buddy cheers to you man oh, oh man whoa yeah just this is like this is like way peachier than really i'm tip yeah well and even it's like yeah like peach but also like kind of kind of viscous i hope i just don't okay. turn into a uh, 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 ball of phlegm as I'm reading here, but <laughs> interesting. Okay, all right. Okay, okay. Huh. I um. So you remember like a couple months ago when I got like walking pneumonia and I was super fucked up. Oh right, yeah. Ever since then, man, like certain most I'd say like eighty percent of the things that I now try and eat or drink, they have this weird like burnt aftertaste smell to them. And goddamn it, oh, if shit. for whatever reason, Bundaberg ginger beer and crack and dark rum don't have that same taste and i'm kind of bummed out yeah that is that is a bummer man shit you know sweet stuff um sprite anything carbonated really except for beer beer doesn't taste bad to me but like hmm. so much shit that i used to love and i guess it's good because i'm losing weight like crazy because food is fucking gross now but <laughs> right yeah it's the uh yeah yeah like it's not quite the like tapeworm diet but yeah it's the uh yeah, like make make everything unpalatable, and then you just won't eat. Diet. Yeah. <laughs> Except listeners don't actually follow that dietary advice. That that that's horrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that, guys. Do not, please, please do not. Um, but all that is to say, we are here. We're properly provisioned, and man, I just want I just want to read some Conan. So I Hell think, yeah. Do you know anything about this story? Well, so as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, 
after our last episode, I, I got super horned up and I was listening to a whole bunch of these on audiobook. Uh, but my trouble is, is I sometimes do audiobooks for comprehension, but nine times out of ten, it's just to help me wind down and fall asleep at night. Oh, okay, okay. And so, yeah, this was definitely a kind of falling asleep, wake up a little bit. Now Conan's on a boat, fall asleep a little bit later. Now he's like landed on a river somewhere or there's going up river. So there's there will probably be parts as I'm reading that I'll do like, oh, that that's what that is. Um, <laughs> but uh, But like truly, no, I don't know what the story is about. <laughs> right on. Right on. This might be, I know I say this every time we read Conan. Mm. I think this is, if there's a top five, this is at least number three. Maybe number okay. two. I can't tell, but yeah. number one is a witch shall be born. I already know that, but like, right. Right. this is a, this is a good Conan. I think it's a sadder Conan than we're, what we have read and like what we mm. will probably read in the future. This, this to me kind of makes me feel like. Conan's telling this story to somebody else because you see Conan being cool a lot, but he's extra cool. He's just a little bit. So it's the way that you would tell the story if you were the main character. So yeah, maybe you knocked out three dudes with one punch and then you slammed two pitchers of ghetto blasters instead of one dude with a punch. And then you woke up in the car and slammed like the flask of ghetto blasters, that kind of thing. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, well, I guess without any further ado, uh, listeners, uh, sit back get you something in your wizard's cup uh if you're at work get another cup of coffee if you're out of work get something a little stronger because uh mark and i are going to read queen of the black coast by robert e howard chapter one conan joins the pirates believe green buds awaken in the spring that autumn paints the leaves with somber fire believe i held my heart in violet to lavish on one man my hot desire. From the Song of Elite. Hoofs drummed down the streets that sloped to the wharves. The folk that yelled and scattered had only a fleeting glimpse of a mailed figure on a black stallion, a wide scarlet cloak flowing out on the wind. Far up the streets came the shout and clatter of pursuit, but the horseman did not look back. He swept out onto the wharves and jerked the plunging stallion back on its haunches at the very lip of the pier. Seamen gaped up at him as they stood to the sweep and striped sail of a high-proud, broad-waisted galley. The master, sturdy and black-bearded, stood in the bows, easing her away from the piles with a boat hook. He yelled angrily as the horsemen sprang from the saddle and with a long leap landed squarely on the mid-deck. Who invited you aboard? Get underway, roared the intruder with a fierce gesture that spattered red drops from his broadsword. But we're bound for the coasts of Cush, expostulated the master. Then I'm for Cush. Push off, I tell you. The other cast a quick glance up the street, along which a squad of horsemen were galloping. Far behind them toiled a group of archers, crossbows on their shoulders. Can you pay for your passage? demanded the master. I pay my way with steel, roared the man in armor, brandishing the great sword that glittered bluely in the sun. By Crom, man, if you don't get underway, I'll drench this galley in the blood of its crew. The shipmaster was a good judge of men. One glance at the dark scarred face of the swordsman, hardened with passion, and he shouted a quick order, thrusting strongly against the piles. The galley wallowed out into clear water. The oars began to clack rhythmically. Then a puff of wind filled the shimmering sail. The light ship heeled to the gust, then took her course like a swan, gathering headway as she skimmed along. 
On the wharfs, the riders were shaking their swords and shouting threats and commands that the ship put about, and yelling for the bowmen to hasten before the craft was out of our blessed range. Let them rave, grinned the swordsman heartily. Do you keep her on her course, Master Steersman? The master descended from the small deck between the bows and made his way between the rows of oarsmen mounted on the mid-deck. The stranger stood there, his back to the mast, eyes narrowed alertly, sword ready. The shipman eyed him steadily, careful not to make any move toward the long knife in his belt. He saw a tall, powerfully built figure in a black-scale male hauberk, burnished greaves, and a blue steel helmet with, from which jutted bull's horns highly polished. From the male's goddamn, from the mailed shoulders fell a scarlet cloak billowing in the wind. A broad shagreen belt with a golden buckle held the scabbard of the broadsword he bore. Under the horned helmet a square-cut black mane contrasted with smoldering blue eyes. If we must travel together, said the master, we may as well be at peace with each other. My name is Tito, licensed master shipman of the ports of Argos. I am bound for Cush to trade beads, silk, sugar, and brass-hilted swords to the Black Kings for ivory, copra, copper ore, slaves, and pearls. The swordsman glanced back at the receding docks, where the figures still gesticulated helplessly, evidently having trouble find in finding a boat swift enough to overhaul the fast-sailing galley. I am Conan, a Sumerian, he answered. I came into Argos seeking employment, but with no wars forward, there was nothing to which I might turn my hand. Why do the guardsmen pursue you? asked Tito. Not that it's any of my business, but I thought perhaps that- I have nothing to conceal, replied the Sumerian. By Krom, though I've spent considerable time among you civilized peoples, your ways are still beyond my comprehension. Well, last night in a tavern, a captain in the king's guard offered violence to the sweetheart of a young soldier, who naturally ran him through. But it seems there is some cursed law against killing guardsmen, and the boy and his girl fled away. It was brooded about that I was seen with them, and so today I was hauled into court, and a judge asked me where, they, where the lad had gone. I replied that since he was a friend of mine, I could not betray him. Then the court waxed wroth, and the judge talked a great deal about my duty to the state, and society, and other things I did not understand, and bade me tell where my friend had flown. By this time I was becoming wrathful myself, for I had explained my position." But I choked my ire and held my peace, and the judge squalled that I had shown contempt for the court, and that I should be hurled into a dungeon to rot until I betrayed my friend. So then, seeing they all were mad, I drew my sword and cleft the judge's skull. Then I cut my way out of the court, and seeing the high constable's stallion tied nearby, I rode for the wharves, where I thought to find a ship bound for foreign ports." Really quick, can we just drink for Grand Theft Auto Conan? Like, yes. killing all the judges, and oh my god. Uh, Conan, Grand Theft Auto. I Conan, do. all guards are bastards. A-gap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, said Tito heartily, the courts have fleeced me too often in suits with rich merchants for me to owe them any love. I'll have questions to answer for if I ever anchor in that port again, but I can prove I acted under, under compulsion. You may as well put up your sword. We're peaceable sailors and have nothing against you. Besides, it is well to have a fighting man like yourself on board. Come up to the poop deck, and we'll have a tankard of ale. Good enough, readily responded the Sumerian, sheathing his sword. The Argus was a small, sturdy ship, typical of those trading craft which ply between the ports of Zingara and Argos and the southern coasts, hugging the shoreline and seldom venturing far into the open ocean. It was high of stern, with a tall, curving prow, broad in the waist, sloping beautifully to stem and stern. It was guided by the long sweep from the poop, 
and propulsion was furnished mainly by the broad-striped silk sail, aided by a jib sail. The oars were for use in tacking out of creeks and bays and during calms. There were ten to the side, five fore, and five aft of the small mid-deck. The most precious part of the cargo was lashed under this deck and under the fore deck. The men slept on deck or between the rowers' benches, protected in bad weather by canopies. With 20 men at the oars, three at the sweep, and the shipmaster, the crew was complete. So the Argus pushed steadily southward with consistently fair weather. The sun beat down from day to day with fiercer heat, and the canopies were run up, silk, striped silken cloths that matched the sh- sh- oh boy, here we go. Striped <laughs> silken cloths that matched the shimmering sail and the shining gold work on the prow and along the gunwales. Fuck you, Robert E. Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Drink. Drink. All right, here we go. They sighted the coast of Shem, long rolling meadowlands with the white crowns of the towers of cities in the distance, and horsemen with blue-black beards and hooked noses who sat their steeds along the shore and eyed the galley with suspicion. She did not put in. There was scant profit in trade with the sons of Shem. Nor did Master Tito pull into the broad bay where the Styx River emptied its gigantic flood into the ocean, and the massive black castles of Kemi loomed over the blue waters. Ships did not put unasked into this port, where dusky sorcerers wove awful spells in the murk of sacrificial smoke mounting eternally from blood-stained altars, where naked women screamed, and where Set, the old serpent, arch-demon of the Hyborians, but god of the Stygians, was said to writhe his shining coils among his worshippers. Jesus, that's a sentence. Drink. (laughs) Drink. Hey, listeners, I hope you're playing along with the sound effect game that I totally made. And just yeah. in case you're not, it sounded like this. And every time you hear that, you better drink. <laughs> Master Tito gave, a, <clears throat> gave that dreamy glass-floored bay a wide berth, even when the serpent-proud gondola shot behind a castellated point of land, and naked, dusky women with great red blossoms in their hair stood calling his sailors, posed and posturing brazenly. No more shining towers rose inland. They had passed the southern shore of Stygia and were cruising along the coast of Cush. The sea and the ways of the sea were a never-ending mystery to Conan, whose homeland was among the high hills of the northern uplands. The wanderer was no less of interest to the sturdy seamen, few of whom had ever seen one of his race. They were characteristic Argosian sailors, short and stockily built. I'm pretty sure just they were hardy and robust, but his was the enhanced endurance and vitality of a wolf. His thews steeled and his nerves wetted by the hardness of his life and the world's wastelands. He was quick to laugh, quick and terrible in his wrath, and was a valiant trencherman, and strong drink was a passion and a weakness with him. Naive as a child in many ways, unfamiliar with the sophistry of civilization. He was naturally intelligent, jealous of his rights, and dangerous as a hungry tiger. Young in his years, he was hardened in warfare and wandering, and his sojourns in many lands were evident in his apparel. His horned helmet was such as worn by the golden-haired Isair of Nordheim. His hauberk and greaves were the finest crass, were the finest workmanship in Koth. The fine ring mail which he sheathed, which sheathed his arms and legs of Nemedia, and the blade girdled was a great Aquilonian broadsword. And his gorgeous scarlet cloak could have been spun nowhere but in Ophir. They beat southward, and Master Tito began to look for the high-walled villages of the black people, but they found only smoking ruins on the shore of the bay littered with black, naked bodies. Tito swore. I had good trade here, aforetime. This is the work of pirates. And if we meet them? Conan loosened his great blade in its scabbard. Uh, yet if it came to a pinch, 
We have beaten off Reavers before, and might do it again, unless it were Belit's Tigress. Who is Belit? The wildest she-devil unhanged. Unless I read the signs wrong, it was her butchers who destroyed, who destroyed that village on the bay. May I someday see her dangling from a yard arm. She is called the Queen of the Black Coast. She is a Shemite woman who leads black raiders. They harry the shipping and have sent many a good tradesman to the bottom. From under the poop deck, Tito brought out a quilted jerkin, steel caps, bows, and arrows. Little use to resist if we were run down, he grunted, but it rasps the soul to give up life without a struggle. Oh man. Okay, so not only is there a little break in the chapter here, but yeah, I think we yeah. need to. I think we need to yeah, take take a minute, recap what, what's going on here. Uh, yes, I love the in medias res uh, start to the story. Like dudes are just going about their business, and then here comes this galloping, like, spattered in blood guy who just hops onto the ship and says, "Take off." Oh, man, that's such a great opening. Uh, <laughs> I pay my way with steel. I Fuck, pay my way like, with steel. Ooh, so good. So yeah. good. So good. Um, and then, yes, we, we've also, because you've mentioned this in some of our earlier um, readings, too, that, yeah, there is the the uh, the the Hyborian geography, very, in, in, in various degrees, but mimics a lot of, yeah, sort of like, Bronze Age and Classical Age, but also, I guess, kind of medieval too, with some of them. But but different cultures that sort of mimic ones that we're familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so so right because that was the other thing too, right? So so not only are they an Argos, A R G O S, but they're sailing on the Argus, A R G U S, which, yeah, uh, with all thing with like. I think like eight different Greek mythology things, Argus and Argos get confused <laughs> like constantly because <laughs> there's like the ship, the Argos for like, you know, Jason and the Argonauts. It was built by a guy named Argos. Odysseus's dog is named Argus, the giant with a hundred eyes that guarded uh, Io when she was uh, changed into a cow. His name is Argus. Like there's, there's Argus's everywhere. Um, and they're yeah, constant, yeah. constantly getting confused. So yeah, that that Argus is Greek. Well, because there's also a Corinth, right? There's also a Corinth in Howard's writing. So it's probably some sort of city state or something like that. Um, but I also love this was this was one of the these last paragraphs. I, I love where it's talking about uh, Conan's kit, like his like his mm-hmm. his 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 outfit. And he's like his loadout, yeah, yeah, and he has a helmet from from uh, the Aesir. Um, his 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 like greaves were from Koth. Uh, the his mail shirt was from Namidia. So like this dude's been around, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or he's killed people that have been around and then just taken their loot. Um, but I love that. I love the fact that like he he is this amalgamation of all these different places that he's been or adventured to. And yeah, that's, that's super, that's super cool. Yeah. I like that bit a lot. It's, it, it is. And it gives like credibility to Oh no, here's Conan. He is, you know, essentially a child, but he's not. And yeah, you know, right. he's just yeah. a barbarian trying to make his way and he's going to go everywhere and he's going to do everything. And yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And he's, and he's confused by the sophistry of civilization. That's another man. That's a good line too. Um, Kills judges for for fun, like right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
Well, right, and and again, going back to his 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 uh, load out there, um, yeah, you better you best believe that's all stuff that he's earned in some way. Because again, he pays with steel. He doesn't pay Damn the right. gold. He doesn't pay the gold price. He plays the iron price, the steel price. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Right. And then Belit, this mysterious pirate queen. Uh, I, w- I wonder if we'll see her. Hmm. <laughs> the the queen of the black coast. I I don't know, Josh. Maybe. Ooh. Maybe. Well, back back to the story then. It was just at sunrise when the lookout shouted a warning. Around the long point of an island off the starboard bow glided a long, lethal shape, a slender serpentine galley, and a raised deck that ran from stem to stern. Forty oars on each side drove her swiftly through the water, and the low rails swarmed with naked blacks that chanted and clashed spears on oval shields. From the masthead floated a long, crimson pennon. Delete, yelled Tito Paling. Where? Put her about. Into the creek mouth. If we can beat her before they run us down, we'll have a chance to escape with our lives. So veering sharply, the Argus ran for the line of surf that boomed along the palm-fringed shore, Tito striding back and forth, exhorting the panting rowers to greater efforts. The master's black beard bristled. His eyes glared. Give me a bow, requested Conan. It's not my idea of a manly weapon, but I learned archery among the the Hyrcanians. And it will go hard if I can't feather a man or so on yonder deck. Standing on the poop, he watched the serpent-like ship skimming lightly over the waters. And landsman though he was, it was evident to him that the Argus would never win that race. Already arrows arching from the pirate's deck were falling with a hiss into the sea, not twenty paces astern. We'd best stand to it, growled the Sumerian. Else we'll all die with shafts in our back and not a blow dealt. And to it, dogs, roared Tito with a passionate gesture of his brawny fist. The bearded rowers grunted, heaved the oars, while their muscles coiled and knotted, and sweat started out on their hides. The timbers of the stout little galley creaked and groaned, as the men fairly ripped her through the water. The wind had fallen, the sail hung limp. Nearer crept the inexorable raiders, and they were a good mile from the surf, when one of the steersmen fell fell gagging across the sweep. A long arrow through his neck. Tito sprang to his place, and Conan, bracing his feet wide on the heaving poop deck, lifted his bow. He could see the details of the pirate plainly now. The rowers were protected by a line of raised mantelets along along the sides, but the warriors dancing on the narrow deck were in plain full view. They were painted and plumed and mostly naked, brandishing spears and spotted shields. On the raised platform in the bows stood a slim figure whose white skin glistened in dazzling contrast to the glossy ebon hides about it, belit without a doubt. Conan drew the shaft to his ear. Then some whim or a qualm stayed his hand and sent the arrow through the body of a tall plumed spearman beside her. Hand over hand, the pirate galley was overhauling the lighter ship. Arrows fell in rain about the Argus, and men cried out. All the steersmen were down. Pincushioned, and Tito was handling the massive sweep alone. Gasping black curses, his his sorry, his braced legs knots of straining thew. Then, with a sob, he sank down, a long shaft quivering in his sturdy heart. The Argus lost headway and rolled in the swell. The men shouted in confusion, and Conan took command in characteristic fashion. Up, lads, he roared, loosing with a vicious twang of cord. Grab your steel and give these dogs a few knocks before they cut our throats. Useless to bend your backs any more. 
They'll board us ere we can row another fifty paces. In desperation, the sailors abandoned their oars and snatched up their weapons. It was valiant, but useless. They had time for one flight of arrows before the pirate was upon them. With no one at the sweep, the Argus rolled broadside, and the steel-beaked prow of the raider crashed into her amidships. Grappling irons crunched into the side. From the lofty gunwales, the black pirates drove down a volley of shafts that tore through the quilted jackets of the doomed sailormen, then sprang down, spear in hand, to complete the slaughter. On the deck of the pirate lay half a dozen bodies, an earnest reckoning of Conan's archery. The fight on the Argus was short and bloody. The stocky sailors, no match for the tall barbarians, were cut down to a man. Elsewhere, the battle had taken a peculiar turn. Conan, on the high-pitched sloop, was on a level with the pirate's deck. As the steel prow slashed into the Argus, he braced himself and kept his feet under the shock, casting away his bow. A tall corsair, bounding over the rail, was met in mid-air by the Sumerian's great sword, which sheared him cleanly through the torso, so that his drink. body felt... <laughs> drink! Fucking cut a man in half! I'm sorry to cut you off, but he cut a man in half cut with a man fucking half. drink. So that his body fell one way and his legs another. Then, with a burst of fury that left a heap of mangled corpses along the gunwales, Conan was over the rail and on the deck of the Tigris. In an instant, he was the center of a hurricane of stabbing spears and lashing clubs, but he moved in a blinding blur of steel. Spears bent on his, steels bent on his armor or swished empty air, and his sword sang its death song. There, the fighting madness of his race was upon him, and with a red mist of unreasoning fury wavering before his blazing eyes, he cleft skulls, smash, smashed breasts, severed limbs, ripped out entrails, and littered the deck like a shambles with a ghastly harvest of brains and blood. Invulnerable in his armor, his back against the mast, he heaped mangled corpses at his feet until his enemies gave back panting in rage and fear. Then as they lifted their spears to cast them, and he tensed himself to leap and die in the midst of them, a shrill cry froze the lifted arms. They stood like statues, the black giants poised for the spear casts, the mailed swordsman with his dripping blade. Bleat sprang before the blacks, beating down their spears. She turned toward Conan. She turned. Mm. She turned toward Conan. Her bosom heaving, her eyes flashing. Fierce fingers of wonder caught at his heart. She was slender, yet formed like a goddess, at once lithe and voluptuous. Her only garment was a broad silken girdle. Her white ivory limbs and the ivory globes of her breast drove a beat of fierce passion through the Sumerian's pulse. Even in the panting fury of battle. Her rich black hair, black as a Stygian night, fell rippling burnished in God damn it, fell in rippling burnished clusters down her supple back. Her eyes burned on the Sumerian. She was untamed as a desert wind, supple and dangerous as a she panther. She came close to him, heedless of the great blade dripping with blood with the blood of her warriors. Her supple thigh brushed against it, so close so close she came to the tall warrior, her red lips parted as she stared up into the somber, menacing eyes. "'Who are you?' she demanded. "'By Ishtar, I have never seen one of your like, though I have ranged the sea and from the coast of Zingara to the fires of the ultimate south. Whence come you?' "'From Argos,' he answered shortly, alert for treachery. Let her slim man move toward the jeweled dagger in her girdle, and a buffet of his open hand would stretch her senseless on the deck.' Yet in his heart he did not fear. 
He had held too many women, civilized or barbaric, in his iron-thewed arms not to recognize the light that burned in the eyes of this one. "'You are no soft Hyborian,' she exclaimed. "'You are fierce and hard as a gray wolf. Those eyes never dim by city lights, and those thews were never softened by life among marbled walls.' "'I am Conan, the Sumerian,' he answered. To the people of the exotic climes, the north was a mazy, half-mythical realm, peopled with ferocious blue-eyed giants who occasionally descended from their icy vastnesses with torch and sword. Their raids had never taken them as far south as Shem, and this daughter of Shem made no distinction between Aesir, Vanir, or Sumerian. With the unerring instinct of the elemental feminine, she knew she had found her lover, and his race meant not. Save as, it save as it invested him with the glamour of far lands. And I am Belit, she cried, as one might say. I am queen. Look at me, Conan. She threw her arms wide. She threw wide her arms. I am Belit, queen of the black coast. Oh, tiger of the north, you were cold as the snowy mountains which bred you. Take me and crush me with your fierce love. Go with me to the ends of the earth and the ends of the sea. I am a queen by fire and steel and slaughter. Be thou my king. His eyes swept the blood-stained ranks, seeing, seeking expressions of wrath or jealousy. He saw none. The fury was gone from the ebon faces. He realized that to these men Belit was more than a woman, a goddess whose will was unquestioned. He glanced at the Argus, wallowing in the crimson sea wash, healing far over, her decks awash, held up by the grappling irons. He glanced at the blue-fringed shore, at the far green hazes of the ocean, at the vibrant figure which stood before him, and his barbaric soul stirred within him. To quest these shining blue realms with that white-skinned young tiger-cat, to love, laugh, wander, and pillage. I'll sail with you, he grunted, shaking the red drops from his blade. Ho! Niaga! Her voice twanged like a bowstring. Fetch herbs and dress your master's wounds. The rest of you, bring aboard the plunder and cast off. As Conan sat with his back against the poop rail, while the old shaman attended to the cuts on his hands and limbs, the cargo of the ill-fated Argus was quickly shifted aboard the Tigris and stored in small cabins below deck. Bodies of the crew and fallen pirates were cast overboard into the swarming sharks, while wounded blacks were laid were laid in the waist, sorry, while wounded blacks were laid in the waist to be bandaged. Then the grappling irons cast off, and as the Argus sank silently into the blood-flecked water, the Tigris moved off southward to the rhythmic clack of oars. As they moved over the glassy blue deep, Belit came to the poop. Her eyes were burning like those of a she-panther in the dark as she tore off her ornaments, her sandals and silken girdle, and cast them at his feet. Raising on tiptoe and arms stretched upwards, a quivering line of naked white, she cried to the desperate horde, Wolves of the blue sea, behold ye now the dance, the mating dance of Belit, whose fathers were the kings of Ascalon. And as she danced, like the spin of a desert whirlwind, like the leaping of a quenchless flame, like the urge of creation and the urge of death, her white feet spurned the blood-stained deck and dying men forgot death as they gazed frozen at her. Then, as the white stars glimmered over the blue velvet dusk, making her whirling body a blur of ivory fire, with a wild cry she threw herself at Conan's feet, and the blind flood of the Sumerian's desire swept away all else as he swept away all else as he crushed her panting form against the black plates of his corseleted breast. And all the pirates watched Conan and Belit fuck awkwardly on the poop. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
not to totally like shortchange the scene, but like no, that's well, the but, biggest like take out of this story is like yeah. Wait, wait, wait. She 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 danced naked in front of everybody, and they all watched, and they fucked on the main. Um, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's not us reading anything into it. That's that's ha- that's that's Howard's story. Okay. Also, speaking of tiger cats. Um... <laughs> okay. Hi. Yeah, you little pirate. <laughs> this little pirate raider coming in and inescapable. Um, okay, so <laughs> huge, fierce naval battle ensues. Um, Tito. Uh, drink pour pour went out for Tito and his crew. Uh, yep. they are are all killed to a man. And Conan leaps, you know, again like cleaves a dude in half midair. Has already like feathered what like a dozen or so pirates. Um, yeah, I think he killed. What? Well, yeah, like he killed like half a dozen or something, and like, yeah. but also purposely like made a point to not kill his right. new side piece. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, he's he, like, uh, no, she's hot. I must stay in my hand. Right, 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 right. And then just a little to the left, plink, got that guy instead. <laughs> um, it, right, and then, yeah, kills, I don't know, what, like 20 dudes total, would you imagine? If we had to, like, put a... Yeah, uh, 10 oars on each side, so that'd be 20, 22 with Tito. Yeah, yeah, about 22-ish people, something like that. Yeah, and then goes over, kills just as many pirates. Um yeah. And then she says, stop. I want to take him as my lover. <laughs> <laughs> so horny by his swordplay. She I is expecting to see his other type of swordplay? Question get, mark? Yeah, question mark, question mark. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, also, okay. So I, I also, I, I was waiting for, I guess, one of the first breaks here. And listeners, maybe this has kind of pricked your ears. So I'll just say it right now. I don't think Howard's description of the pirates as being black and ebon and all that, like, that's not racist. That's just him describing what they look like. And like, maybe, oh, yeah, no, a thousand percent. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah it, they're, they're black dudes. Yeah. Yeah. They're just black. Yeah. They're, they're just black dudes. It's not like they're, uh, have any like extra negative connotations, uh, tacked onto it. It's like, no, they just are. And reminding, uh, cause, cause it was, um, um, under the Iron Moon? Is that what it was? Iron Shadows on the Moon, yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah, thank you. Iron sh- Shadows on the Moon. Because, uh, yeah, like, those were those were statues that were just black, but they weren't actually, like, people from Kush. Uh, but these dudes are. So, of, of course, they're going to have black skin. And that's okay. Call off the cancel cultural, like, hounds. Um, <laughs> we're fine. Well, so that's one thing we're I like about story. Howard we're a lot, fine. though, is... Yeah. Well, so like on the one hand, yeah, it is it is super racist. Everything about Howard is crazy racist, or I guess you call it like nationalistic, nationalistic slash like what jingoistic. But like, yeah, so Conan is always going to be the strongest, most most like endurance heavy dude there mm-hmm. is. Um, people from Stygia are always going to be like these fucking weird dudes who like are necromancers and pray to set the snake yeah. god. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people of Kush are always just going to be black dudes. Like it's what you'd think of as like classical effort like so yeah it is crazy racist but it's not it's just saying that like at this time when like these you know yeah, nation states age. were 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 coming about like there's a certain amount of nationalism with that comes with it because like yeah these are different groups of people kind of isolated and they all kind of pick up you know similar traits that distinguish them from the groups of people around them so that's how you get the split that's why they're from Koth or Kush or Argus or Velitriate like 
So there's, it's not like, he's not saying like, oh yeah, we all know about what happened, you know, down there at the Black Coast, you know, on <laughs> East 17th and Hampton. Like, no, no, that's not what we're doing. It's, no, no, no. And they're black dudes. That's it. Belit is white. That's it. And Conan is dark. He, that's the other thing too, is like mm-hmm. Conan is always described as dark and mm-hmm. it's because he's, that's what gets me is he's always black hair and blue eyed. And then he's always super dark despite coming from, um, hyper yeah, or north. like, you know, yeah. Yeah, like the super north, and it's like the gloomy land. It always talks about how gloomy Conan's homeland is. It's like, so Conan left his homeland and got a tan. That's right. <laughs> the biggest takeaway from it I can get, you know? Well, and the other big takeaway is, I think also a, a strong argument against there being any sort of racial animus and stuff like this. Um, Conan is an equal opportunity killer. Like, yes. he, he was killing the veneer. He's killed uh yeah these these pirates he he will he'll he'll, he will kill anybody he does not see the the only color that conan sees is red (laughs) i mean literally you know we we and um what was it iron shadows in the moon and it talked about how he hunted the um oh where was fucking it doesn't matter but we talked about like yeah he just wants to murder people like he doesn't fuck around like story repays slight for slight and yeah yeah, the, the the story started off with him killing an Argosian judge. So it's not it's not a race thing. It's not a race thing. Killing the whitest just... man we could probably kill. <laughs> outside again, outside of like maybe the veneer, like in the Frost Giant's daughter and stuff like that. <laughs> right, right, right. So yes, so hopefully that will have appeased any sort of anxiety you have about like, oh my gosh, can you believe Mark and Josh keep reading this story? It's like, yeah, it's fine. Because that's where it takes place. It's fine. We also haven't mentioned how, like, you know, Belit called down to her for Captain, for Captain Bart, whose name we had to change to make it more palatable to, you know, consume. So we're already doing better than we do with the old true. HPL. So this is true. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Two wizards will be right back after these messages. Hey there, cats and kittens, uh, wizards and witches gobs and goblins this is josh from the two wizards podcast and if you're enjoying hearing what we have going on here may i also recommend to you some of our other sister podcasts we have a new addition to high hammock studios i can't wait to show my kids where mark and our good friend brad go through some of the movies they may have missed the first time around and decide when is the best time to show their kids you'd be a crazy person to watch this and not find rondo uh really interesting and compelling as a protagonist here yeah. the exact like, opposite of harry you potter you have to root for him you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly fuck that kid <laughs> kids that's why <laughs> i'm sorry that's just always my go-to example for a protagonist that i just can't stand i like everybody right. else has to solve his problems he never does hardly anything for himself he's whiny and needy and uh, almost mm-hmm. entirely without agency through seven books and eight movies it's Terrible, but he's an orphan. I don't. I'm not going to defend Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was Godzilla, and he rose up to <laughs> destroy a bunch of Tokyo. The point is, kids, you can't have no in your heart. Uh, so is this four movies in a row then, where we ask who's the real protagonist here? Is it actually Rando or is it Godzilla? Anyway, I'll let you get back to the listening. Thanks for checking us out. Take care. And now back to two wizards. Yeah, I think I think we both uh, are reprovisioned in our wizard's yep. cups. Made another Mai Tai here, and so yeah, I think we're on we're on to chapter two, the Black Lotus. 
Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. In that dead citadel of crumbling stone, her eyes were snared by that unholy sheen, and curious madness took me by the throat, as of a rival lover thrust between. Also from the Song of Bilit. The tigress ranged the sea, and the black villages shuddered. Tom-toms beat in the night, with a tale that the she-devil of the sea had found a mate, an iron man whose wrath was that, uh, what was as that of a wounded lion, and survivors of butchered Stygian ships named Belit with curses, and a white warrior with fierce blue eyes. So the Stygian princes remembered this man long and long, and their memory was a bitter tree which bore crimson fruit in the years to come. God, that's a scent. Drink. But heedless as a vagrant wind, the tigress cruised the southern coasts until she anchored at the mouth of a broad, sullen river whose banks were jungle color, excuse me, whose banks were jungle clouded walls of mystery. This is the river Zarkeba, which is death, said Belit. Its waters are poisonous. See how dark and murky they run? Only venomous reptiles live in that river. The black people shun it. Once a Stygian galley fleeing from me fled up the river and vanished. I anchored in the very spot, and days later, the galley came floating down the dark waters, with decks blood-stained and deserted. Only one man was on board, and he was mad and died gibbering. The cargo was intact, but my crew had vanished into silence and mystery. Or, sorry, but the crew had vanished into silence and mystery. My lover, I believe that there is a city on that river. I have heard tales of giant towers and walls glimpsed afar off by sailors who dared go part way up the river. We fear nothing, Conan. Let us go and sack that city. Conan agreed. He generally agreed to her plans. Hers was the mind that directed their raids, his the arm that carried out her ideas. It mattered little to him where they sailed or whom they fought, so long as they sailed and fought. He found the life good. Battle and raid had thinned their crew. Only some eighty spearmen remained, scarcely enough to work the long galley. But Belit would not take the time to make the long cruise southward to the island kingdoms where she recruited her buccaneers. She was afire with eagerness for their latest venture. So the tigress swung into the river mouth, the oarsmen pulling strongly as she breasted the broad current. They rode the mysterious bend that shut out the sight of the sea, and sunset found them foraging steadily against the sluggish flow, avoiding sandbars where strange reptiles coiled. Not even a crocodile did they see, nor any four-legged beast or winged bird coming down to the water's edge to drink. On through the blackness that preceded moonrise they drove, between banks that were solid palisades of darkness, whence came mysterious rustlings and stealthy footfalls, and the gleam of grim eyes. And once an inhuman voice was lifted in a mockery, the cry of an ape, Belit said, adding the at adding that the souls of evil men were imprisoned in these man-like animals as punishment for past crimes. But Conan doubted. For once, in a gold-barred cage in a Hyrcanian city, he had seen an abysmal sad-eyed beast which men told him was an ape, and there had been about it not of demonic malevolence, which vibrated in the shrieking laughter that echoed from the jungle. The moon rose, a splash of blood, an ebony... A splash of blood, ebony barred, and the jungle awoke in a horrific bedlam to greet it. Roars and howls and yells set the black warriors to trembling, but all this noise, Conan noted, came from further back in the jungle, as if no beasts, as if the beasts no less than men shunned the black waters of Zerkeba. 
Rising above the black denseness of the trees, above the waving fronds, the moon silvered the river, and their wake became a rippling scintillation of phosphorescent bubbles that widened like a shining road of bursting jewels. The oars dipped into the shining water and came up stealthy in a frosty silver. The plumes of the warriors' headpieces nodded in the wind, and the gems on the sword hilts and harnesses sparkled frostily. The cold light struck fire, icy fire from the jewels in Belit's clustered black locks as she stretched her lithe figure on a leopard skin thrown on the deck. Supported on her elbows, her chin resting on her slim hands, she gazed into the face of Conan, who lounged beside her, his black mane stirring the faint breeze. Belit's eyes were dark jewels burning the moonlight. Mystery and terror are all about us, Conan, and as we glide into the realm of horror and death, are you afraid? A shrug of his mailed shoulders was his only answer. I am not afraid either, she said meditatively. I was never afraid. I have looked into the naked things of death too often. Conan, do you fear the gods? I would not tread on their shadow, answered the barbarian conservatively. Some gods are strong to harm, others to aid. At least so say their priests. Mitra of the Hyborians must be a strong god because his people have builded their cities over the world. But even the Hyborians fear Set. And Bel, god of thieves, is a good god. When I was a thief in Zamora, I learned of him. But of your own gods? I have never heard you call on them. Their chief is Krom. He dwells on a great mountain. What use to call on him? Little he cares if men live or die. Better to be silent than to call his attention to you. He will send you dooms, not fortune. He is grim and loveless, but at birth he breathes power to strive and slay into a man's soul. What else shall men ask of the gods? But what of the worlds beyond the river of death? she persisted. There is no hope here or hereafter in the cult of my people, answered Conan. In this world men struggle and suffer vainly, finding pleasure only in the bright madness of battle. Dying, their souls enter a gray, misty realm of clouds and icy winds, to wander cheerlessly throughout eternity. Belit shuddered. Life as bad as it is? Is it better than such a destiny? What do you believe, Conan? He shrugged his shoulders. I have known many gods. He who denies them is as blind... He, I got he who denies them is as blind as he who trusts them too deeply. I seek not beyond death. It may be the blackness averred by the Numidian skeptics, or Krom's realm of ice and cloud, or the snowy plains and vaulted halls of the Northheimer's Valhalla. I know not, nor do I care. Let me live deep while I live. Let me know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine on my palate, the hot embrace of white arms, the mad exultation of battle when the blue blades flame and crimson, and I am content. Let teachers and priests and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is illusion, then I am no less an illusion. And being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live, I burn with life, I love, I slay, and am content. Fucking drink. Fucking drink for that. Amen. Just real quick, that might be my favorite line of Howard. That entire speech he just gave, that yeah. is it. Like, mm. yeah. That's mm. great. Amazing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Sorry. But the gods are real, she said, pursuing her own line of thought. And above all are the gods of the Shemites, Ishtar, Ashtoreth, and Darkido, and Adonis, 
Bel, too, is Shemitish, for he was born in ancient Shumir, long, long ago, and went forth laughing with a curled, bill, be, with a curled beard and impish wise eyes to steal the gems of the kings of the old time. There is life beyond death, I know, and I know this, too, Conan of Samaria. She rose lively to her knees and caught him in a pantherish embrace. My love is stronger than any death. I have lain in your arms, panting in the panting with the violence of our love. You have held and crushed and conquered me, drawing my soul to your lips with fierceness of your bruising kisses. My heart is welded to your heart. My soul is part of your soul. Were I still in death and you fighting for life, I would come back to you from the abyss to aid you. I, whether my spirit floated to the purple sails on a crystal sea of paradise, paradise, or writhed, writhed in the molten flames of hell, I am yours, and all the gods and all their eternities shall not sever us. A scream rang from the lookout in the bows. Thrusting Belit aside, Conan bounded up, his sword a long silver glitter in the moonlight, his hair bristling at what he saw. The black warrior dangled above the deck, supported by what seemed a dark pliant tree trunk arching over the rail. Then he realized that it was a gigantic serpent, which had writhed its glistening length up the side of the bow and gripped the luckless warrior in its jaws. Its dripping scales shone leprously in the moonlight as it reared its form high above the deck, while the stricken man screamed and writhed like a mouse in the fangs of a python. Conan rushed into the bows, and swinging his great sword, hewed nearly through the giant trunk, which was thicker than a man's body. Blood drenched the rails as the dying monster swayed far out, still gripping its victim, and sank into the river, coil by coil, lashing the water to bloody foam, in which man and reptile vanished together. Oh, man. Drowned Great. by a snake. Great. Yeah, jeez. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Thereafter, Conan kept the lookout watch himself, but no other horror came crawling up from the murky depths. And as dawn whitened over the jungle, he sighted the black fangs of towers jutting up along the trees. He called Belit, who slept on the deck, wrapped in his scarlet cloak. And she sprang to his side, eyes blazing. Her lips were parted to call orders to her, to call orders to her warriors to take up bow, bow and spears, bow and spears, yeah, probably bow, bow and spears. spears. Then her lovely eyes widened. It was but the ghost of a city on which they looked when they cleared a jutting jungle-clad point and swung in toward the incurving shore. Weeds and rank river grass grew between the stones of broken piers and shattered paves that had once been streets and spacious plazas and broad courts. From all sides except that toward the river, the jungle crept in, masking fallen columns and crumbling mounds with poisonous green. Here and there, buckling towers reeled drunkenly against the morning sky, and broken pillars jutted up among the decaying walls. In the center space, a marble pyramid was spired by a slim column, and on its pinnacle sat, or squatted, something that Conan supposed to be an image, until his keen eyes detected life in it. It is a great bird, said one of the warriors, standing in the bows. It is a monster bat, insisted another. It is an ape, said Belit. Just then the creature spread broad wings and flapped off into the jungle. A winged ape, said old Nyaga uneasily. Better we cut our throats than come to this place. It is haunted. Belit mocked at his superstitions and ordered the galley run inshore and tied to the crumbling wharf. She was the first to spring ashore, closely followed by Conan. 
And after them troop the ebon-skinned pirates, white plumes waving in the morning wind, spears ready, eyes rolling dubiously at the surrounding jungle. Overall, brooded silence, as sinister of that as a sleeping serpent. Belit posed picturesquely among the ruins, the vibrant life in her lithe... Sorry. Wow. The vibrant life in her lithe figure, contrasting strangely with the desolation and decay about her. The sun flamed up slowly, sullenly above the jungle, flooding the towers with a dull gold that left shadows lurking beneath the tottering walls. Belit pointed to a slim round tower that reeled on its rotting base. A broad expanse of cracked green grass-grown slabs led up to it, flanked by fallen columns, and before it stood a massive altar. Belit went swiftly among the ancient floor and stood before it. This was a temple of the old ones, she said. Look, you can see the channels for the blood along the sides of the altar, and the rains of ten thousand years have not washed the dark stains from them. The walls have fallen away, but the stone block defies time and the elements. But who were these old ones? demanded Conan. She spread her slim hands helplessly. Not even in legendary is this city mentioned. But look at the handholds at either side of the altar. Priests often conceal their treasures beneath their altars. Four of you, lay hold and see if you can lift it. She stepped back to make room for them, glancing up at the tower which loomed drunkenly above them. Three of the strongest blacks had gripped the handholds cut into the stone curiously, unsuited to human hands, when Belit sprang back with a sharp cry. They were frozen in their places, and Conan, bending to aid them, wheeled with a startling curse. A snake in the grass, she said, backing away. Come and slay it, and the rest of you bend your backs to that stone. Conan was quickly toward her, another taking his place, as he impatiently scanned the as he impatiently scanned the grass for the reptile, the giant blacks braced their feet and grunted and heaved, and their huge muscles coiling and straining their, under their ebon skin. The altar did not come off the ground, but it revolved suddenly on its side, and simultaneously there was a grinding rumble above, and the tower came crashing down, covering the four black men with broken masonry. A cry of horror rose to, from their comrades. Belit's slim fingers dug into Conan's arm muscles. There was no serpent, she whispered. But it was a ruse to call you away, I feared. The old ones guarded their treasure well. Let us clear away the stones. With Herculean labor they did so, and lifted out the mangled bodies of the four men. And under them, stained with their blood, the pirates found a crypt carved in the solid stone. The altar, hinged curiously with stone rods and sockets on one side, had served as its lid and at first glance the crypt seemed brimming with liquid fire, catching the early light with a million blazing facets. Undreamable wealth lay before the eyes of the gaping pirates. Diamonds, rubies, bloodstones, sapphires, turquoises, moonstones, opals, emeralds, amethysts, unknown gems that shone like the eyes of evil women. The crypt was filled to the brim <laughs> with bright stones that the morning sun struck into lambent flame. With a cry, Belit dropped to her knees among the blood-stained rubble on the brink and thrust her white arms shoulder-deep into that pool of splendor. She withdrew them, clutching something that brought another cry to her lips. A long string of crimson stones that were like clots of frozen blood strung on a thick gold wire. In their glow, the golden sunlight changed to bloody haze. Belit's eyes were like a woman's in a trance. The Shemite soul finds a bright drunkenness in riches and material splendor, and the sight of this treasure might have shaken the soul of a sated emperor of Shushan. 
Take up these jewels, dogs. Her voice was shrill with her emotions. Look! A muscular black arm stabbed toward the tigress, and Belit wheeled, her crimson lips a snarl, as if she expected to see a rival corsair sweeping in to despoil her of her plunder. But from the gunwales of the ship, a dark shape rose, soaring away over the jungle. The devil ape has been investigating the ship, muttered the blacks uneasily. What matter? cried Bleat with a curse, raking back a rebellious lock with an impatient hand. Make a litter of spears and mantles to bore the to bear these jewels. Where the devil are you going? To look at the galley, grunted Conan. That bat thing might have knocked a hole in the bottom, for all we know. He ran swiftly down the cracked wharf and sprang aboard. A moment's swift examination below deck, and he swore heartily, casting a clouded glance in the direction of the bat being had vanished. He returned hastily to Belit, superintending the plunder of the crypt. She had looped a necklace around her neck, and on her naked white bosom where the red cloths glimmered darkly. A huge naked black stood crotched deep in the jewel-brimming crypt, scooping up great handfuls of splendor to pass to the eager hands above. Strings of frozen iridescence hung between his dusky fingers. Drops of red fire dripped from his hands, piled high with starlight and rainbow. It was as if a black titan stood straddle-legged in a bright pits of hell, his hands lifted full of stars. That flying devil has staved in the water casks, said Conan. If we hadn't been so dazed by these stones, we've had heard the noise. We were fools not to have left a man on guard. We can't drink this river water. I'll take twenty men and search for fresh water in the jungle. She looked at him vaguely, in her eyes the blank blaze of her strange passion, her fingers working at the gems on her breast. Very well, she said absently, hardly heeding him. I'll get the loot aboard. The jungle closed quickly about them, changing the light from gold to gray. From the arcing green branches, creepers dangled like pythons. The warriors fell into single file, creeping through primordial twilights like black phantoms, following a white go- Oh, God! Black phantoms following a white- Just fucking drink. I'm sorry. I just- no, no, Just yeah, every now great. and then, he just, like, hits mm-hmm. on the thing, and I'm just like, Howard, you dog. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Underbrush was not so thick as Conan had anticipated. The ground was spongy, but not slushy. Away from the river, it sloped gradually upward. Deeper and deeper, they plunged into the green, waving depths- and still there was no sign of water, either running stream or stagnant pool. Conan halted suddenly, his warriors freezing into balsatic statues. In the tense silence that followed, the Sumerian shook his head irritably. Go ahead, he grunted to his sub-chief, Ngora. March straight on until you can no longer see me. Then stop and wait for me. I believe we're being followed. I heard something. The blacks shuffled their feet uneasily, but did as they were told. As they swung onward, Conan stepped quickly behind a great tree, glaring back along the way they had come. From that leafy vastness, anything might emerge. Nothing occurred. The faint sounds of the marching spearmen faded in the distance. Conan suddenly realized that the air was impregnated with an alien and exotic scent. Something gently brushed his temple. He turned quickly. From a cluster of green, curiously leafed stalks, great black blossoms nodded at him. One of these had touched him. They seemed to beckon him, to arch their pliant stems toward him. They spread and rustled, though no wind blew. He recoiled, (laughs) recognizing the black lotus whose juice was death and whose scent brought dream-haunted slumber. But already he felt a subtle lethargy stealing over him. He sought to lift his sword, to hew down the serpentine stalks, 
but his arm hung lifeless at his side. He opened his mouth to shout to his warriors, but only a faint rattle issued. The next instant, with appalling suddenness, the jungle waved and dimmed out before his eyes. He did not hear the screams that burst out awfully not far away, as his knees collapsed, letting him pinch lipply to the earth. Above his prostrate form, the great black blossoms nodded in the windless air. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no! They fucked with my bullhorned helmet! I got this shit from the ice hero! Oh, no! Oh, no! Well, and listeners, if you were sitting on the edge of your seat saying, well, Mark and Josh, chapter two was titled The Black Lotus. Well, now, now, baby, you know why. <laughs> now we know. Now, again, once again, The Black Lotus appearing in Howard's work is like this thing that if it touches you, if you drink it, if you do mm-hmm. anything with it, it'll fuck you, you up. Smell you. Yeah. Like, yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and, and also, um, as you mentioned, um, in previous readings, this weird uh, appearance of apes and even, yep. I guess, winged winged apes here now. There's some bat thing, bat, bat ape, bat ape. Uh, <laughs> the done messed up their water casks. Destroy their water casks and they gotta, gotta get something to drink. Man, dang it. Someone's staving in the water casks. <laughs> uh so here we are like two chapters in what do you think so far buddy yeah it's great i i love the very quick yeah uh the the very quick entry that we had in the first chapter and then chapter two is like yeah uh conan and belit and the pirates they they did their thing for a while like it's just like glossed over like i don't know a couple of months of piracy (laughs) And a couple of months that, like, the the people along the coastline bitched about for years to come. Like, right, yeah, yeah, that they would, yeah, never forget. So, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. And uh, with that exposition there uh, established, and they're just doing piratey things, and then, yes, this uh, weird river that goes up, up land into the jungle, and nobody really knows what it is. Maybe there's a hidden city Elite says that she chased a ship up this way and waited for it, and the only thing that came back was a blood-stained deck and some somebody driven insane and babbling. So, uh, so all yep. right, gang, let's let, let's go up there. <laughs> we get a cool discussion about like the metaphysical yeah, right. and life mm-hmm. after. Really, that that whole bit that there, where Conan is trying to like describe his like position on life. I think that might be my favorite Robert E. Howard quote because it's just so. Mm-hmm. I live, I love, I slay, I'm content. Like, fucking A, what else can we have? But I also really like how, like, oh, no, like, we pray to Krom, but, like, we don't we don't pray because you pray you're going to just piss him off. Like, he made right. you strong, call it good, and don't ask for anything else. Like, Right. I really, well, that's, I really like yeah. that in a god. Yeah, because I, I know um, with Lovecraft, yeah, the, like, cosmology and metaphysics of Lovecraft, it, it is, it, it, it's it's very def, it, it's markedly different from what we kind of imagine growing up in this kind of like, yeah, like living in this like Christian or post-Christian, uh, mostly kind of secular society. We just think like, well, no, like God loves us and wants us to be happy. It's like, no, that's, that's actually exceedingly rare for a theology to be built around that. Like 99 times out of a hundred, it's just, 
yeah, here, here are these deities, these gods that are super powerful and just will do whatever they want. So really think twice before you ask them to intervene in your life because odds are good you're not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that little like section of metaphysics, theology, philosophy. Um, yeah, super, super cool. That was, that was a nice, that was a nice little moment. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, and we, I mean, maybe, maybe some foreshadowing. I don't know where Belit says, Conan, I'm so madly in love with you that even if death should part us, I will, I will find a way to help you. I will find a way to be with you. Could that come back later on in the story, listeners? I just don't know. Uh, I, I think the term is uh, Chekhov's titties. If a hot chick <laughs> falls in love with you in the first act, she must die in the third act, but then save you in the fifth act. So, yeah, I think so. I think that's the uh, think, literary yeah. device we're looking at here. Probably, yeah. Thank you for helping me out with that, with that term there. Um, <laughs> Chekhov's chronic bitch dependency. <laughs> Chekhov's manic pixie pirate queen girl uh <laughs> did you know that one out of five protagonists suffers from manic pixie dream girl syndrome <laughs> manic pixie black lotus spore girl <laughs> pirate yeah pirate queen um okay all right pirate queen <laughs> uh all right we are getting silly but we're going to be rushing through the, the this brisk second half here so onward to chapter three the horror in the jungle and yes, that's the horror in the jungle, not the whore in the jungle, because we already talked about Billet. But anyway, <laughs> horror, the horror in the jungle. Was it a dream the knighted lotus brought, then cursed the dream that bought my sluggish life, and cursed, cursed each laggard hour that does not see hot blood drip blackly from the crimsoned knife from the Song of Billet? First, there was the blackness of an utter void, with the cold winds of cosmic space blowing through it. That's Lovecraftian as hell. Drink. Yep. Drink. Then shapes, vague, monstrous, and evanescent, rolled in dim, par in, in dim panorama through the expanse of nothingness. And then Conan heard, Wake me up inside! <laughs> Wake me up! <laughs> Sorry, okay. We're, we're, we're getting... Save me! Save me! <laughs> We're getting squirrely, and I love it. All right, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> three chapters, three chapters is three our chapters, limit before we get fucking squirrely. To go. Here we are, here we are. The winds blew, <laughs> and a vortex formed, a whirling pyramid of roaring blackness. From it grew shape and dimension. Then suddenly, like clouds dispersing, the darkness rolled away on either hand, and a huge city of dark green stone rose on the bank of a wide river, flowing through an illimitable plain. Through the city moved beings of alien configuration. Jeez, this is super Lovecrafty. This is this is Act Three. Nothing but whoops all Lovecraft. Like yeah, yeah whoops yeah, all yeah. Lovecraft here. Cast in the mold of humanity, they were distinctly not men. They were winged and of heroic proportions. Not a branch on the mysterious stock of evolution that culminated in man, but the ripe blossom on an alien tree, separate and apart from that stock. Gee, I, I only have so much Mai Tai to drink here. I'm going to have to run out <laughs> to the liquor store and buy some more. Asi aside from their wings and physical appearance, they resembled man only as man in his highest form resembles the great apes. In spiritual, mm. aesthetic, and intellectual development, they were superior to man as man is superior to the gorilla. 
but when they reared their colossal city, man's primal ancestors had not yet risen from the slime of the primordial seas. These beings were mortal, as are all things built of flesh and blood. They lived, loved, and died, though the individual span of life was enormous. Then, after uncounted millions of years, the change began. The vista shimmered and waved like a picture thrown on a wind-blown curtain. Over the city and the land, the ages flowed as waves flow over a beach, and each wave brought alterations. Somewhere on the planet, the magnetic centers were shifting. The great glaciers and ice fields were withdrawing toward the new poles. The littoral of the great river altered. Plains turned into swamps that stank with reptilian life. Where fertile meadows had rolled, forest reared up, growing into dank jungles. The changing ages wrought in the inhabitants of the city as well. They did not migrate to fresher lands. Reason, inexplicable to humanity, held them to the ancient city and their doom. And as the once rich and mighty land sank deeper and deeper into the black mire of the sunless jungle, so into the chaos of squalling jungle life, the people of the city. The terrific convulsions of shock shook, sorry, terrific convulsions shook the earth, and night was, <clears throat> the nights were lurid with spouting volcanoes that fringed the dark horizons with red pillars. After an earthquake that shook the, down the outer walls and highest towers of the city and caused the river to run black for days with some lethal substance spewed from subterranean depth, a frightful chemical change became apparent in the waters the folk had drunk for a millennium uncountable. Many died who drank of it, and those who lived, the drinking wrought change, subtle, gradual, and grisly. In adapting themselves to the changing conditions, they had sunk far below their original level. But the lethal waters altered them even more horribly, from generation to more bestial generation. They who had been winged gods became pinioned demons. All that remained of their ancestors' vast knowledge distorted and perverted and twisted into ghastly path. As they had risen higher than mankind might dream, so they sank lower than mankind's maddest nightmares reach. They died fast, by cannibalism, and horrible feuds fought in the murk of the midnight jungle. And at last, the lichen-grown ruins of their city, only a single shape lurked, a stunted, aberrant perversion of nature. Then for the first time humans appeared, dark-skinned, hawk-faced men in copper and leather harnesses, bearing bows, the warriors of prehistoric Stygia. There were only fifty of them, and they were haggard and gaunt with starvation and prolonged effort and stained and scratched with jungle wanderings, with blood-crusted bandages that told of fierce fighting. In their minds was a tale of warfare and defeat, the flight before a stronger tribe which drove them ever southward until they lost themselves in the green jungle and river. Exhausted, they lay down among the ruins where red blossoms bloom once but a century waved in the full moon, and sleep fell upon them, and as they slept a hideous shape crept red-eye from the shadows and performed weird and awful rites about and above the, each sleeper. The moon hung in the shadowy sky, painting the jungle red and black. Above the sleepers glimmered the crimson blossoms, like splashes of blood. Then the moon went down, and the eyes of the necromancer were red jewels set in the ebony of night. When dawn spread its white veil over the river, there were no men to be seen, only hairy, winged horror that squatted in the center of the ring of fifty great spotted hyenas that pointed quivering muzzles to the ghastly sky and howled, and howled like the souls of hell. So, fucking A. Okay, so, so I'm sorry, I, I know I'm breaking yeah. right here, but like, no, so Conan is getting his, like, 
tour to Lovecraft, like that, you mm-hmm. know, that, that whole like effacing of sanity and like the history. And this is why we don't read books because it makes us bad. Well, Conan may be able to read, maybe he's not able to read, but he, via the Black Lotus, he gets all this shit. And he also gets how 50 Stygian warriors were transformed by the Red Lotus to be different from the Black Lotus into hyena beast men. Oh yeah. my god. Oh yeah. my god. That's amazing. This is like Doom that came to Sarnath. This is um 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 oh who was the water god? I can't think of his name. The the water reptile. Oh, uh, Bogrok. Bogrok. Yeah. Um this is that. This is the Doom that came to Sarnath, but this isn't Sarnath. This is Howard. He's writing Lovecraft going, Hey there, other Howard. I'm writing the story. Can you help me out here? Um have you talked about the limitless gul- gulfs of infinity and men changing into beasts through blasphemous rites? Well, no, I haven't. Well, there you go. Hey, thanks, buddy. Don't forget to mention how they're racist. No, no, no. I got that guy. No, good, no. Good. I, I, yeah, yeah. Sh- Thank sure. you. Sure. Bye. What? Howard, you're breaking up. I can't. I can't hear you, yeah. buddy. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Also, if there hasn't been a stage play to Howard's, uh, Mark, I, I think you and I need to write that. We need to write that stage play to to. <sighs> I reckon so. Uh, I reckon. <laughs> I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant. The scene, then scene followed scene so swiftly that each tripped over the heel of its predecessor. There was a confusion of movement, a writhing and melting of lights and shadows, against a background of black jungle, green stone ruins, and murky river. Black men came up the river in longboats with skulls grinning on the prows, or stole stooping through the trees, spear in hand. They fled screaming through the dark from red eyes and slavering fangs. Howls of dying men shook the shadows. Stealthy feet padded through the the gloom. Vampire eyes blazed redly. There were grisly feasts beneath the moon, across whose red disk a bat-like shadow incessantly swept. Then abruptly, etched clearly in contrast to these impressionistic glimpses, around the jungled point in the whitening dawn swept a long galley, thronged with shining ebon figures, and in the bows stood a white-skinned ghost in blue steel. It was at this point Ooh, it was at this point that Conan first realized uh, that he was dreaming. Until that instance, he had no consciousness of individual existence. But he saw himself treading the boards of the Tigress. He recognized both the existence and the dream, although he did not awaken. Even as he wondered, the, sh- the scene shifted abruptly to a jungle glade where Ngora and 19 black spearmen stood, as if awaiting someone. Even as he realized that it was he for whom they waited, a horror swooped down from the skies and their stolidity was broken by yells of fear. Like men maddened by terror, they threw away their weapons and raced wildly through the jungle, pressed close by the slavering monstrosity that flapped its wings above them. Chaos and confusion followed this vision, during which Conan feebly struggled to awake. Dimly he seemed to see himself lying under a nodding cluster of black blossoms, while from the brushes a hideous shape crept toward him. With a savage effort he broke the unseen bonds which held him to his dreams and started upright. Bewilderment was in the glare he cast about him. Near him swayed the dusky lotus, and he hastened to draw away from it. In the spongy soil nearby there was a track, as if an animal had put out a foot, preparatory to emerging from the bushes, then had withdrawn it. It looked like the spore of an unbelievably large hyena. <laughs> That's my, my yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two hyenas. He yelled for Nagora. Primal's primordial substance brooded over the jungle, in which his yells sounded brittle and hollow as mockery. 
He could not see the sun, but his wilderness-trained instinct told him that day was near its end. A panic rose in him. A panic rose in him at the thought that he had laid senseless for hours. He hastily followed the tracks of the spearmen, which lay in plain, which lay plain the damp loam before him. They ran in single file, and soon emerged from the glade. To stop short, the skin crawling between his shoulders as he recognized the glade as he had seen it in his lotus drug, as he had seen it in his lotus drugged dream. Shields and spears lay scattered as a drop by a headlong flight, and from the tracks which led out of the glade and into the deeper fastness, Conan knew that the only spearmen fled wildly. The footprints overlaid one another. They weaved blindly among the trees, and with startling suddenness that hastening Cimmerian came out of the jungle onto a hill-like rock which sloped steeply to break off abruptly into a sheer precipice forty feet high, and something crouched on the brink. At first, Conan thought it to be a great black gorilla. Then he saw that it was like a giant black man that crouched like an ape, long arms dangling, froth dripping from the loose lips. It was not until with a saw... With a sobbing cry, the creature lifted its huge, its huge hands and rushed towards him. That Conan recognized Nagora. The black man had given no heed to Conan's shout as he charged. The eyes rolled up to display the whites, teeth gleaming, face an inhuman mask. With his skin crawling with the horror and madness that always instills the sane, Conan passed his sword through the black man's body. Then, avoiding the hooked hands that clotted him as Nagora sank down, he strode off to the cliff edge. For an instant, looking down at the jagged rocks below, where Nagora's spearmen lay in limp, distorted attitudes that told the crushed limbs and splintered bones. Not one moved. A huge cloud of black flies buzzed loudly above the blood-splashed stones. The ants already began to nod the corpses. On the trees about sat birds of prey and a jackal, looking up and seeing the man on the cliff slink, slunk furtively away. For a little space, Conan stood motionless, then wheeled and ran back the way it came, flinging himself with reckless haste through all the tall grass and bushes, hurtling creepers, hurtling creepers that sprawled snake-like in his path. His sword swung low on his wrist and pallor tinged his dark face. The silence that reigned in the jungle was not broken. The sun had set and great shadows rushed upward from the slime of the black earth. Through the gigantic shades of lurking death and grim desolation, Conan was a speeding glimmer of scarlet and blue steel. No sound in all of the solitude was heard except his own quick panting as he burst from the shadows into the dim twilight of the river shore. He saw the galley shouldering the rotten wharf, the ruins reeling drunkenly in the gray half-light. And here and there among the stones were spots of raw, bright color, as if a careless hand had splashed with a crimson brush. Again Conan looked on death and destruction. Before him lay his spearmen, nor did they rise to salute him. From the jungle edge to the riverbank, along the rotting pillars and along the broken piers they lay, torn and mangled and half-devoured, chewed travesties of men. All about the bodies and pieces of bodies were swarms of huge footprints, like those of hyenas. I'm just going to keep making that noise. <laughs> Conan. Yeah, yeah. Conan came silently upon the pier, approaching the galley above whose deck was suspended something that glimmered ivory white in the faint twilight. Speechless, the Sumerian looked on the queen of the black coast as she hung from the yard arm of her own galley. Between the yard and her white throat stretched a line of crimson clots that shone like blood mm. in the gray light. Mm. That's all I got. Mm. Man. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, man, I'm bummed. Yeah, Believe I'm dead. Bummed. Like, maybe one of the strongest female characters we have in Conan is now dead. Like, it's like her and Princess, like, Yasmina. Like, that's it. Like, you don't get a lot of women taking agency in Conan. Sorry, guys. Yeah. It's 1920s, but, man. Yeah, it just, it is. But, but that's also... Well, because, yeah, like, this is, like, how how horrible and how frustrating and how just, yeah, like, despairing it must be. Like, as this, as this slaughter is happening, Conan just happens yeah. to be kind of passed out because he had a suspicion that something is following him. So he lingered behind, fell asleep because of the Black Lotus, and then everybody else gets slaughtered. And, I mean, we saw him take on this pirate ship basically by himself and do work. So I'm sure he's feeling horrible that, like, man, maybe maybe I could have, like, prevented some of this. Maybe I could have saved some people. Maybe I could have saved Belit. Uh, but just, yeah. But then again, like, 50 hyena men. <laughs> that's, a, that's also a pretty tall order. But it's also, that's just, like, the horror that is lurking. You know, like, we don't know who hung Belit. You know, yeah. like, yeah, it's true. just something killed the guys because even i wonder if it wasn't like as you read it like well who ran him off the cliff was it the hyena men or was it like uh nagoro i I don't know i Mm -hmm. and then too like um you know conan gets knocked out by the black lotus but like you know the black lotus is a multi-use MacGuffin in the conan verse so how come you know it couldn't make him black out Mm -hmm. while it made the others you know go crazy like yeah. And I guess the answer be- is because, like, to have a dream sequence where it's Conan is, you know, the one who's insane and murdering his own crew just is too hacky for 1920. Right. So Howard's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. But, um, but yes, all that is to say that there truly was some horror in the jungle that, uh, yeah, like, obliterated. The captain and yeah, yeah, the 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 queen captain and crew of the Tigress. <laughs> also, real quick, I know this is like the worst time to bring this up, but the Mrs. Wizard and I just rewatched Muppet Treasure Island uh, <laughs> the other night. <laughs> Highly inappropriate. But go ahead. <laughs> so now I want to see. Muppet Queen of the Black Coast, because that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, Conan the Barbarian, were I in death and you alive? I can't do it, Miss Piggy. <laughs> yeah. Who? What? <laughs> I, I can't even. I can't even. I'm, fuck, I'm jamming Conan quotes with Kermit the Frog in my head. It's not. Right. <laughs> I live. I love. I slay. I am content, Piggy. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome aboard. This is the Argus. Waka waka. <laughs> Can you pay, oh swordsman? I pay my way with steel. Hi ho. <laughs> Hi ho. Go to the Sumerian here. <laughs> Yes, exactly, Kermit the Sumerian. Why are there so many songs about I, black rivers? And what's on the other side, Josh? 
Why are there so many songs about the Black Lotus? <laughs> and what dream fugue it induces? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yes, listeners, I, I know it's been a while, but guess what? I'm going to type into uh, uh, AI art generator <laughs> as soon as we're done recording here. Um, Fucking, you know, I'm going to Photoshop as soon as we're done here is Kermit the Sumerian. Oh, my God. Kermit the Sumerian. That's amazing. Oh, my God. That's so good. Hi-ho. <laughs> I pay my way with steel. Sorry. Quit making that joke. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. That's oh, so good. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, God. Oh, man, Mark. Okay. So, I mean, as grisly as that scene was, I'm having a lot of fun. And... Alas, we have but two short chapters left. Um, yeah. So I guess we just got we just got to see what happens. We got to see what happens. Um. Any any updates to your Wizards Cup? I hurried and like added like another little teeny tiny bit of my tie. But um, what about you, buddy? Yep. Uh, I'm on uh, Dark and Stormy number three here. Looks like a hurricane warning tonight, good buddy. Oh yeah. Oh totally. Um, what is it? A hurricane okay, well, of uh, spears and sword is what Conan yeah. put himself into the middle of. Well. Here's a hurricane of Kraken and ginger beer that tastes fucking gross. <laughs> no, fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, listeners, uh, what whatever will happen to Conan next, I, I guess we'll find out. In Chapter 4, The Attack from the Air. The shadows were black around him. The dripping jaws gaped wide. Thicker than rain, the red drops fell. But my love was fiercer than death's black spell, nor all the iron walls of hell could keep me from his side. From the Song of Belil. No, sorry. Belil. Belittle. Like, the Song damn. of Belittle. She talks down to you all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I don't know, Conan. My last boyfriend could have totally killed the winged ape creature. <laughs> <laughs> the jungle was a black colossus that locked the ruin-littered glade in ebon arms. The moon had not risen, the stars were flecks of hot amber in a breathless sky that reeked of death. On the pyramid among the fallen towers sat Conan the Sumerian, like an iron statue, chin propped on massive fists. Out in the black shadows, stealthy feet padded and red eyes glimmered. The dead lay as they had fallen, but on the deck of the Tigris, on a pyre of broken benches, spear shafts, and leopard skins, lay the queen of the black coast in her last sleep wrapped in Conan's scarlet cloak. Man, that's his scarlet yeah. cloak from yeah. Ophir. God, this this guy. And like well, you know what, too, really quick, though, it talks about in the last chapter mm-hmm. how she would, like, sleep under it, and now he just kind of, like, let her have it. You know, it's it's that shirt you just kind of give up to, like, your college girlfriend, and you know you're never getting it back. Like, Yeah, yeah no, truly. Yeah. Your favorite hoodie. Yeah. That was Conan's cloak. <laughs> The Legend of Zelda t-shirt I bought from a Hot Topic and showed to my kind of girlfriend at the time. And she said, oh, neat, and then took it. When I was like, oh, I guess you can have that. <laughs> R.I.P. Eddie Guerrero t-shirt, yep. <laughs> R.I.P. R- R- but, uh... <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, where am I? Okay, like a true queen she lay with her plunder heaped high about her, silks, Cloth of gold, silver braid, casks of gems and golden coins, silver ingots, jeweled daggers, and teal callus of gold wedges. But of the plunder of the accursed city, only the sullen waters of Zarkeba could tell where Conan had thrown it with a heathen curse. 
Now he sat grimly on the pyramid, waiting for his unseen foes. The black fury in his soul drove out all fear. What shapes would emerge from the blackness he knew not, nor did he care. He no longer doubted the visions of the Black Lotus. He understood that while waiting for him in the glade, Ngora and his comrades had been terror-stricken by the winged monster swooping upon them from the sky, and fleeing in blind panic, had fallen over the cliff, all except for their chief, who had somehow escaped their fate, though not madness. Meanwhile, or immediately after, or perhaps before, the destruction of those on the river bank had been accomplished. Conan did not doubt that the slaughter along the river had been massacre rather than battle. Already unmanned by their superstitious fears, the blacks might well have died without striking a blow in their own defense when attacked by their inhuman foes. Why he had been spared so long, he did not understand, unless the malign entity which ruled the river meant to keep him alive to torture him with grief and fear. All pointed to a human or superhuman intelligence. The breaking of the water casks to divide the forces, the driving of the blacks over the cliff, and last and greatest, the grim jest of the crimson necklace knotted like a hangman's noose about Bilit's white neck. Having apparently saved the Sumerian for the choicest victim, and extracting the last ounce of exquisite mental torture, it was likely that the unknown enemy would conclude the drama by sending him after the other victims. No smile bent Conan's grim lips as at the thought, but his eyes were lit with iron laughter. The moon rose, striking fire in the Sumerian's horned helmet. No call awoke in the echoes, yet suddenly the night grew tense and the jungles held its breath. Instinctively, Conan loosened the great sword from its sheath. The pyramid on which he rested was four-sided, one, the side toward the jungle, carved in broad steps. In his hand was a Shemite bow, such as Belit had taught her pirates to use. A heap of arrows lay at his feet, feathered ends towards him as he rested on one knee. Something moved in the blackness under the trees. Etched abruptly in the rising moon, Conan saw a darkly blocked-out head and shoulders, brutish in outline, and now, from the shadows, dark shapes came silently, swiftly, running low, twenty great spotted hyenas. Their slavering fangs flashed in the moonlight, their eyes blazed as no true beast's eyes ever blazed. Twenty! Then the spears of the pirates had taken their toll in the pack after all. Even as he thought this, Conan drew knock to ear. On the twang of the string, a flame-eye shadow bounded high and fell writhing. The rest did not falter. On they came. Like a rain of death among them fell arrows of the Sumerian, driven with all the force and accuracy of steely thews, backed by the hate hot as the slag heaps of hell. Drink! Drink. Sorry. Hate hot slag heaps of hell is a good one. Yeah, no, it is. It is, it is. In his berserk fury, he did not miss. The air was filled with feathered destruction. The havoc wrought among the onrushing pack was the havoc wrought among the onrushing pack was breathtaking. Less than half of them reached the foot of the pyramid. Others dropped upon the broad steps, glaring on <clears throat> glaring down into the blazing eyes. Conan knew these creatures were not beasts. It was not merely their unnatural size that he had sensed a blasphemous difference. They exuded an aura tangible as the black mist rising from the corpse-littered swamp. By what godless alchemy had these beings been brought into existence, he could not guess. But he knew he faced diabolism, blacker than the well of Scalos. Springing to his feet, he bent his bow powerfully and drove his last shaft point Blake into a great hairy shape that soared up at his throat. 
The arrow was a flying beam of moonlight that flashed onward with but a blur in its course. But the were-beast plunged convulsively in the midair and crashed headlong, shot through and through. Then the rest were on him, in a nightmare rush of blazing eyes and dripping fangs. His fiercely driven sword shore the first asunder. Then the desperate impact of the others bore him down. He crushed an arrow skull with the pommel of his hilt, feeling the bones splinter and blood and branch gush over his hand. Then dropping the sword, useless at such deadly close quarters, he caught at the throats of the two horrors which were ripping and tearing at him in silent fury. A foul, acrid scent almost stifled him. His own sweat blinded him. Only his mail saved him from being ripped to ribbons in an instant. The next, his naked right hand locked on a hairy throat and tore it open. His left hand, missing the throat of the other beast, caught and broke its foreleg. A short yelp, the only cry in that grim battle, and hideously human-like, burst from the maimed beast. At the sick horror of that cry from a bestial throat, Conan involuntarily relaxed his grip. One, blood gushing from its torn jugular, lunged at him in a last spasm of ferocity and fastened its fangs on his throat to fall back dead, even as Conan felt the tearing agony of its grip. The other, springing forward on three legs, was slashing at his belly as a wolf slashes, actually rending the links of his mail. Flinging aside the dying beast, Conan grappled the crippled horror and, with a muscular effort that brought a groan from his blood-flecked lips, he heaved upright, gripping the struggling, rearing fiend in his arms. An instant he reeled off balance, its fetid breath hot on his nostrils, its jaws snapping at his neck. Then he hurled it from him to crash with bone-splintering force down the marbled steps. As he reeled on wide-braced legs, sobbing for breath, the jungle and the moon swimming, swimming bloodily to his sight, the thrash of bat wings was loud in his ears. Stooping, he groped for his sword, and swaying upright, braced his feet drunkenly and heaved the great blade above his head with both hands, shaking the blood from his eyes as he sought the air above him for his foe. Instead of attack from the air, the pyramid staggered suddenly and awfully beneath his feet. He heard a rumbling crackle and saw the tall column above him wave like a wand. Stung to galvanized life, he bounded far out. His feet hit a step halfway down, which rocked beneath him, and his next desperate leap carried him clear. But even as, as his heels hit the earth, with a shattering crash like a breaking mountain, the pyramid crumpled. The column came thundering down in bursting fragments. For a blind, cataclysmic instant, the sky seemed to rain shards of marble. Then a rubble of shattered stone lay whitely under the moon. Conan stirred, throwing out the splinters that half-covered him. A glancing blow had knocked off his helmet and momentarily stunned him. His legs lay at a great piece of <clears throat> Sorry. Across his legs lay a great piece of column pinning him down. He was not sure his legs were unbroken. His black locks were plastered with sweat, blood, were, sorry, Jesus Christ. Dark and stormy. Here we go. Act four. Yep. His black locks were plastered with sweat. Blood trickled from his wounds in his throat and hands. He hitched up one arm, struggling with the debris that prisoned him. Then something swept down across the stars and struck the sword near him. Twisting about, he saw the winged one. With fierce speed, it was rushing upon him, and in an instant, Conan had only a confused, a confused impression of gigantic man-like shape, hurtling a hurtling along on bowed and stunted legs of massive hairy arms outstretched misshapen black mailed 
black-nailed paws of a malformed head in whose broad face was the only features recognizable as such were a pair of red or blood-red eyes. It was a thing neither man, beast, nor devil, imbued with characteristics subhuman as well as characteristics superhuman. But Conan had no time for conscious... See, like, this is where Howard pisses me off, because, like, we can talk about the primal, and then he's like, but he had no time for cons- conscious consecutive thought. Fuck you, Howard. Okay, here we go. Sorry. <laughs> you just gotta, like, switch the gears so quick. But yeah, Conan had yeah. no time for conscious consecutive thought. He threw himself forward on... He threw himself toward his fallen sword, and his clawing fingers missed it by inches. Desperately, he grasped the shard which pinned his legs, and the veins swelled in his temples as he strove to thrust it off him. It gave, slowly, but he knew that before he could free himself, the monster would be upon him, and he knew that the black-taloned hands were death. The headlong rush of the winged one had not wavered. It towered over the prostate over the prostrate Cimmerian, like a black shadow, arms thrown wide, a glimmer of white flashed between it and its victim. In one mad instant, there she was, white shape, vibrant with love, fierce as a she-panther, the dazed Cimmerian between the, him and the onrushing death, her lithe figure shimmering like ivory beneath the moon. He saw the blaze of her dark eyes, the thick cluster of her burnished hair, her bosom heave, her lips red parted. She cried out sharp and ringing as the ring of steel as she thrust at the winged monster. Elite, screamed Conan. She flashed a quick glance at him, and in her dark eyes he saw her love flaming, a naked elemental thing of raw fire and molten lava. Then she was gone and the Sumerians saw only the winged fiend, which had staggered back in unwanton fear, arms lifted as if to fend off attack. And he knew that Belit in truth lay on her pyre on the tigress's deck. In his ears rang her passionate cry. Were I still in death, and you fighting for life, I would come back from the abyss. With a terrible cry, he heaved upward, hurling the stone aside. The winged one came on again, and Conan sprang to meet it, his veins on fire with madness. The thews started out like cords on his forearms as he swung his great sword, pivoting on his heel with the force of the sweeping arc. Just above the hips, it caught the hurtling shape, and the knotted legs fell one way, the torso another, as the blade sheared clear through its hairy body. Conan stood in the moonlit silence, the dripping sword sagging in his hand, staring down at the remnants of his enemy. The red eyes glared up at him with awful life, then glazed and set. The great hands nodded spasmodically and stiffened, and the oldest race in the world was extinct. Conan lifted his head, mechanically searching for the beast things that had been its slaves and executioners. None met his gaze. The bodies he saw littering the moon-splashed grass were of men, not beasts. Hawk-faced, dark-skinned men, naked, transfixed by arrows or mangled by sword strikes and they were crumbling into dust before his eyes. Why had not the winged master come to the aid of its slaves when he struggled with them? Had it feared to come within reach of fangs that might turn and rend it? Craft and caution had lurked in that misshapen skull, and had not availed in the end. Turning on his heel, the Sumerian rode down the rotting wharves and stepped aboard the galley. A few strokes of his sword cut her adrift, and he went to the sweephead. The tigress rocked slowly in the sullen water, gliding out sluggishly toward the middle of the river until a broad current caught her. Conan leaned on the sweep 
his somber gaze fixed on the cloak-wrapped shape that lay in state, on the pyre of on the pyre the richness of which was equal to the ransom of an empress. Mm. Whew. Yeah, well, right. I mean, yeah. Conan kills uh, the bad guys. Conan kills the bad guys, and she and, and, and she does. She comes back and either distracts the thing long enough or inspires him to heave this column off of his not unbroken legs. Uh, or does she? Is this maybe some lingering uh, or a withdrawal symptom of the Black Lotus? Is this something that he imagines? Because he says he knows full well that Bleed is still on the ship. But, I, oh, man. See, I like to think that it actually is Bleed coming to him to aid him Mm -hmm. in this yeah i yeah i prefer to believe that Mm -hmm. but yeah oh let's wrap this buddy uh, let's wow let's wrap i was gonna say let's i was gonna say let's wrap this bitch up but i was also gonna say let's kick this pig but then i was also gonna say let's barbecue this pig because i read the funeral pyre and it's like "Mm, fuck i haven't (laughs) eaten since fucking what sunday so i'm hungry as shit dog anyway let's um (laughs) Let's uh, round this out, buddy. Yeah, the final and briefest chapter, chapter five, The Funeral Pyre. Now we are done with roaming evermore. No more the oars, the windy harps refrain, nor crimson pennon frights the dusky shore. Blue girdle of the world, receive again her whom thou gavest me. From the Song of Belit. Again, dawn tinged the ocean. A redder glow lit the river mouth. Conan of Samaria leaned on his great sword upon the white beach, watching the tigress swinging out on her last voyage. There was no light in his eyes that contemplated the glassy swells. Out of the rolling blue wastes, all glory and wonder had gone. A fierce revulsion shook him as he gazed at the green surges that deepened into purple hazes of mystery. Belit had been of the sea, She had lent it splendor and allure. Without her, it rolled a barren, dreary, and desolate waste from pole to pole. She belonged to the sea. To its everlasting mystery, he returned her. He could do no more. For himself, its glittering blue splendor was more repellent than the leafy fronds which rustled and whispered behind him of vast, mysterious wilds beyond them, and into which he must plunge. No hand was at the sweep of the tigress, no oars drove her through the green water, but a clean, tanging wind bellied her silken sail, and as the wild swan cleaves the, cleaves the sky to her nest, she sped seaward, flames mounting higher and higher from her deck to lick at the mast and envelop the figure that lay lapped in scarlet upon the shining pyre. So passed the queen of the black coast. And leaning on his red-stained sword, Conan stood silently until the red glow had faded far out into the blue hazes, and dawn splashed its rose and gold over the ocean. Conan, frog! I fuck. Oh my god! Yeah. I. Here we are, two hours, two, what, what are we at, like two hours now, give or take a bit? Oh, yeah, well, well over. Yeah, Maybe no, my well over the second, third favorite Conan story of all time. I, mm-hmm. God, it's so good. Um, Josh, 
talk to me, buddy. How are you feeling? Well, yes. So I am glad that I actually did come and read this with you and not just have to rely on my hazy uh, listening to an audiobook as I'm trying to fall asleep. Black Lotus-induced dreamscapes of uh, <laughs> what the story was. Because this, yeah, this this one was great. It was... It was it was Conan uh, at his Conanist um, fighting fucking uh, uh, we, we we get this lovely um, well I was gonna say dash but it's more like you go to like sprinkle some salt um, onto this steak that you're preparing and then the lid pops off and then just whoops all salt. <laughs> this lovely spillage of Lovecraftian of Lovecraftiness um, in the middle there. Uh, so this is our fourth Conan story. So we did um, what Tower of the Elephant, I think, was the first, and then we did yes. Frost Giant's Daughter, Iron Shadows in the Moon. And now this one, I think we can um, safely say this is our most Lovecrafty one, just based off of the like uh, mm-hmm. dreams of the Black Lotus. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would. I would. Agree. I would agree with that. And even though I fairly recently purchased this anthology of Conan, uh, I haven't read all of them. So who knows? Maybe there is some, yeah, the doom that came to Sarnath and his name was Conan the Sumerian. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's one of those still waiting for me. But no, this was an incredible one. I want to be a pirate. I want to find a pirate queen that is so impressed by my ability to massacre her crew she says, "No, you're going to be my my lover instead." Um, uh, yeah, because like, what is best in life? Sure, to like drive your enemies before you and hear the lamentations of their women, but also sailing around with the black with the queen of the black coast. That that's maybe a close second. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. This is this is right up there with some of my favorite Conan stories that I've read that I've heard so far. Um, and yeah, I guess I don't, well, yeah. Th- I also kind of like this sort of strange proto heart of darkness, proto apocalypse. Now going Conan up and company into the say, river. Yeah. Going up into the river and just find finding horror. Uh, that's also kind of, kind of neat. Um, yeah, and I wonder who inspired whom, or is this an occurrence of like separate authors or separate storytellers or, or, or arriving at a similar pattern? Uh, Joseph Conrad, somebody tell me, help help me out here. Uh, English teacher that I was, I never got to teach that book, so I didn't really get to do much of a deep dive. Uh, but I guess all that is to say, listeners, go go get you a bottle of rum. Go listen. Well, okay, I guess this doesn't make sense now to say this at the end of the podcast because we just read it. But go get a bottle of rum and then just hit replay. Start this one over again. Because recently, Mark, I don't want to like pat us on the back about every little thing, but I, I think this is a slightly modern thing. Yeah. We just passed 5,000 downloads. Yeah. So congratulations to you, sir. And you too, sir. Uh, and so, yeah, listeners, take... Take a take a victory lap with us. Go go back, re-listen to this episode. Share this episode with somebody new. Maybe you know somebody who's also a Conan fan, and they might appreciate hearing our kind of thoughts, hearing our our oral interpretation of these Conan stories. 
um, share the love, share the wealth, just like Belit and Conan. And then maybe when you're on death's door, some sort of phantom of Mark or I will come along and, you know, pull you out of that, that burning wreckage or whatever the case may be. <laughs> I expect into hook swords, nunchucks, and uh, yeah. broadsword. And also, I'm stronger than a fucking ox even now in my diminished state. So, yeah, I bet I could lift, like, something up off of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we, we, we always love hearing from you. We always love interacting with you. And if you thought, um, yeah, like me as Conan and Mark as Olivia was like some good <laughs> like fan art inspiration, me as Conan, Mark as the elite, like oh boy, I I can't wait, I can't wait. So God, I wish I could draw. Be... I would so just like do you watching me dancing naked <laughs> on a ship deck, like stupid like curly like Greek fro and all, just like. Ah, yes, the mating dance of Mark the Wizard. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, so (laughs) there's Mark. There's Mark the Wizard being hung from his yard arm by a necklace of rubies. (laughs) And there's Josh the Barbarian so sad about it. (laughs) Just super sad about (laughs) it. Just you crying, looking at my dead ass body. Finding the bat-winged horror that is young Gershon. Yeah, bat-winged horror. Yeah, whatever whatever that may be. So, all that is to say, we would absolutely love to hear from you. And we would absolutely love if you shared what, what we do with other people. So, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, send an email to twowizardspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at twowizardspodc1. We are also on Facebook. We're also on Instagram, twowizardspodcast. Um, we're, we're, we're doing that. We are also, uh, in the, in, in the process, we're getting a website spun up, which I think would be, a would be a blast too. Um, and once that ball gets rolling, once that, uh, uh, pirate ship starts sailing up the river, we will let you know. Um, but other things you can find me on Twitter too. If you just want to see what I have to say, some of the things that I do, uh, you can find me, Josh on Twitter at plaid barbarian, uh, Mark, you are also on Twitter. You're also uh, a co-host of several other podcasts. So what are those? Tell us more about them. Uh, yeah, you can find me, first and foremost, at uh, Marquis Stardust on Twitter. Um, I don't know. I'm not active, but I do some shit on there. Or you can find me on our sister podcast, I Can't Wait to Show My Kids, where me and my buddy Brad, we take some of our favorite movies and the other one is missed and then we like talk about them and see if they're still good. But then we talk about like, when do you show the things that you grew up with? When do you get to show these movies to your kids? So like, I can tell you right now, Josh, Mm -hmm. in about like what, three weeks now, uh, you and me and Brad are probably just going to do a cinema series over the two Arnold Schwarzenegger, Conan, the barbarians. And we're going to talk about them and the goods and the bads and the highs and the lows. Um, We're going to see how Conan the uh, Barbarian just straight up ripped off this ending with Sandal Bergman showing up as a Valkyrie. Not going to talk about it right now, but we're going to talk about that. Um, But in the meantime, uh, check me out over there or or go to the uh, Dangle podcast where me and my buddy Johnny and Josh's buddy Johnny. Well, I guess yeah. Josh's cousin, Josh. You know what? Go yeah, over the Dangle true. podcast, uh, a weekly King of the Hill podcast, where me and my buddy Johnny take two episodes of Mike Judge's beloved adult animation classic, King of the Hill, and talk about it, discuss it, uh, rate it, review it, 
all that good shit. We are into season 10 now, and things are getting bleak. But, 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 I also, I kind of called it out at the beginning. Josh, um, we Mm -hmm. on Dangle Podcast, and I just want to shout this out really quick. We on Dangle Podcast, we're just so lucky enough to have uh, guested on the uh, Reboot Deboot podcast, and I'm going to plug them too, just because they are friends of High Hammock, and goddammit, you got to shout out friends because homies help homies. Yeah. Johnny and I were on that episode. Please don't listen to it because I sound like shit, but you can understand Johnny, and you can kind of parse me out going, (laughs) so (laughs) go check that one out, but just understand that like, I think we're trying to maybe work something back a little bit to where I can be understandable. All that is to say, we have so many irons in the fire. Listeners, are you sick of Conan? Are you sick of Lovecraft? Are you sick of Howard? Or, 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 are you clam where we're going to go? I don't care what you want. I want more word fiction. I want yeah. more Conan. But you can please, by all means, come to Two <laughs> Wizards, Pod C1, and go, mm-hmm. Mark, please, for the love of God, read anything published post-1970. And I'll say, well, okay, but... <laughs> Does Tom Holland and Max Hastings count? And you'll be like, no, Mark, that's Mm -hmm. history. I'm like, fuck you. Anyway, thank you for joining us. Um, I kind (laughs) of shotgun to the ending here and got angry. Kraken Dark Rum makes me mean. We are figuring out. One day, three years in, we will learn that Kraken makes me mean, but that's (laughs) not the point tonight. Josh, thank you for joining me. Number one, this was a kick in the ass. I love Conan. Um, Thank you. Dude, goddamn Conan Mm -hmm. X Muppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Conan. Well, so I I remember too. It was also Conan uh, uh, X Dragon Ball. That was the other one that I got super horned up for. So, yeah, we just just. I mean, for my money, more more Conan, please. Yes, yes, please. Um, and whatever that happens to be, whatever whatever comes up next, or maybe you want us to go back to Lovecraft because it's been a minute since we've read some Lovecraft. Let us know. Or tell us, hey, do another cinema series. Or hey, uh, get off your asses, both of you, and do some research and actually make like an episode that you typically do. All that is to say, hey, well then get fucked because next week we're doing goddamn River Pirates in America. Yeah, I said <laughs> it now, so I gotta finish my outline. There you go. Imaginary listeners in my head that I yell at <laughs> weekly. But all that is to say, we do love having you here. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for helping us get over five thousand downloads. And uh, we'll go ahead and close it out here. So my name is Josh, and I'm a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I'm schizophrenic. I mean, and my name is Mark, and I am a wizard. Uh, Thank you for listening, guys. We love you all, everyone. And just know, just know, were I in death and you still alive in struggle, I would appear as a shining golden Valkyrie to rescue you. And with that happy note, take care, everybody. Is what Valkyries say. (laughs) He rolled upon his back, and after that, I killed...